0: and I mean basically I've my experience is that every retreat is different. I have done so many long and short and all kinds of retreats and I, my experience is that every retreat is unique and that in itself has its own beauty and if we Remember that in time that we actually f- or travel best through the retreat or journey best through this time by putting down our expectations from how this retreat should be, what it should be, <laughs> what should come out, what I would like my experience to be. I personally find that a very good reminder and very helpful because it is so different every time because we do come from different points in our lives and as impermanence is one of the very basic laws of this life how could it be otherwise i find that a good remi- reminder and also to remind myself again and again i only can start from where i'm right now many times i wish to be where i'm not not yet but i have to start from where i am or, or for us as a group we have to start from where we are i think it was t.s Elliot saying in the four Quartets, it's like in order to arrive where <laughs> you are not, you have, you have to start from where you are. He says that much <laughs> more complicated, I d- and I don't get all the words together anymore, but it's a very beautiful way of expressing the, the uncertainty, but also the, Im- the importance of the presence the importance of actually realizing this is what is happening right now and this is the only point where I can start from. So what we have been doing so far was mainly focusing on the body and also starting from bringing in, like today Ajahn Santi was leading a meta meditation, which I find always very helpful to start a longer retreat with, or uh, even if it is just like, say, a day on retreat, that really bringing up the, how do you say, the willingness to embrace to accept to hold that what might be not so easy to hold and i feel matter loving kindness meditation or even just moments of loving kindness that flow into the practice are very helpful for easing up for relaxing for relaxing into what is present right now another very important aspect is grounding really again starting from where we are really making a connection with with the ground with like ba- the the ground I mean really the floor we are sitting on or like when you sit on a chair, really feel the ground underneath your feet. And this is is where we are starting from, and this is also what helps us to connect with where we are right now. And this is where we can go back to any time, when we feel like we are losing touch with reality, Uh, or like when we are Mm, like we can experience, especially in longer retreats, we can experience very heightened states of mind where we are maybe not in connection with the ground. And it's a good question to ask oneself, am I still grounded? Is there still, do I still feel like I'm present in the body and the body is grounded? I find this, to start with the retreat, and also in between the times of practice and in the practice, from time to time, just to ask myself these questions. But I'm sure you probably all know this anyway, because many of you have been doing lots of retreats, and this is just a reminder, and I find it for my own practice quite helpful to ask these questions from time to time. So what we have been doing on this retreat so far is mainly working with the first foundation of mindfulness, is kind of the mindfulness of the body. And Santi has been leading us very well through that. And maybe one thing that I like to bring in just as a reflection is really to see that there are different ways of uh, reflecting on what does it actually mean, foundation of mindfulness, or satipatthana, this is actually the Pali word for that. And there are different ways of translating this. And one translation that makes a lot of sense for me, also really in the practice, is seeing as, as being present with, being in the presence of the body or being present with the body, being present with mm-hmm. the feelings. And I feel like that is, for me, I found it very helpful to see it in that way. Um, for the word sati, mindfulness, we can see that in many different ways, like one way of translating sati is really being with, in the present, right now, and bringing bare attention to this momentary experience, which we have done, I think, so far in our practice. But another way of reflecting or working with sati is also sampajanya, which means we bring wisdom, wisdom into the practice. We see how mindfulness unfolds, how sati unfolds in a present situation. And that is like when we look at the body, we see, we focus like we say, we focus on the breath and we see that there's the breath itself and the body, but there's also the circumstances of the body sitting in this room with other people together, practicing together. There is the awareness of maybe listening to one's own breath and maybe feeling the neighbor next to or experiencing the neighbor next to us and maybe hearing the breath of the neighbor too. And just seeing that as part of the practice or even like like you focus on the breath and somebody next to you or a little bit further in the room has to cough and to see well actually that is not necessarily a disturbance i can take that as part of the practice by bringing sati sampojanya into that you can recognize this is what this is sound Coming into this present moment experience, and the like you take that in not as a disturbance or as a destruction, but it is like an opening to what else is there, and a consideration that with our practice we are not cut off from the rest of the world. I find that very important, a very important aspect of the practice this Uh, situation this retreat place of course gives, gives us a lot of support for distancing ourselves from the usual duties and the usual responsibilities that we carry in our lives and that is very supportive for really turning inwards and looking what is present what I, what are the processes the internal processes that are running through why we are practicing so the next step in our practice would be looking at feelings and mindfulness of feeling does not mean mindfulness of emotions there's a slight difference here, like when Achantanasanti was uh, talking today, like when she was teaching the metta meditation and speaking about looking the feeling that arises, she spoke about emotions and we have to, I mean I have to be very clear to distinguish between those, because the process that would be the next step in the teaching of Satipatthana is looking at Vedana which is the Pali word for feeling, and feeling here is a feeling in the mind. It is not an emotional process, it is just a very fleeting moment. We are using sati for recognizing this fleeting experience, and we try to catch it when it comes, without it moving already further into uh, perception, I would say. like To describe that a little bit more clearly, what I actually mean is, like through sense contact, we experience, we move further into the feeling. Through sense contact, we experience responses, mental responses of Liking, dislike or neutral. These are the three feelings I'm talking about right now. They, they do arise very quickly, uh, quickly, almost instantly after the sense contact. And they last only very short. So what we need to do is we need to train our minds to catch them arising after the sense contact has happened. To explain it a little bit more clearly, it's like you you are practicing, you hear a plane, like say a plane passing by or a car passing by outside. You hear the sound and immediately there is a a a relation to that. There is like there is a liking or a disliking or maybe it is neutral but there is a response to that and the feeling I am talking about, the feelings I'm talking about, is this response. And the interesting bit about this is, say, ten people hearing the same sound will probably have ten different ways of relating to that so when we speak about feeling we have to consider that they carry our mental patterns i would say like they carry our karmic luggage so if we are like if we are in contact with the outer world, or also the inner world. I mean you, of course, you also have to, like say, to thoughts arising or to inner experiences, you have, there is, there is Vedana, there is feeling in regards to that. That is not just in terms of sense contact from the outside, that is also sense contact from the inside. So that goes, it's both areas or both, both aspects of life are included in that and if we can understand and catch this early enough we actually are able to break the chain of dependent origination right there. And that is one of the points which the Buddha recommended in many of his teachings and many other teachers. Look Look at that feeling arising and see if you can catch it it there and just noticing this is pleasant feeling or this is unpleasant feeling arising in the mind. And there you can stop. You don't need to go into any storyline, you don't need to go further than this if you can catch it right there. To understand how this process runs, I think we have to look into our responses, like why do we respond with, um, with desire or attachment? Why do we respond to aversion or disagreeing, repulsion or rejection? Why do we respond in a neutral way to a situation? Looking closer at that is when I, for the moment right now, I just stay with pleasant feeling. When we look at something that we find desirable, usually what we do is we focus on the object outside. Like we focus, like in that, uh, we focus on the sense experience and give it a name, like there is an object out there, or internally, there is an object that is desirable. And what we do is we see as if that object is responsible for bringing up internally that pleasant experience of desire. We forget that actually what we are so attracted to is not that object, but what we are attracted to is the internal pleasant experience. This is where attachment happens. So the object I say now outside, but it can as well be internally, like, so the, the object outside is what we think is what is so pleasant. This is like, say, why we fall in love with somebody else, because that person symbolizes for us all that we experience as pleasant. Or you can take, like, say, some food that you like, a car that you like, you can put everything else (laughs) in the same place here, it doesn't really matter. But what matters is that movement away from the internal experience towards the object. We mistake the object for the pleasant experience. And Vedana is this, or one aspect of Vedana, is this pleasant experience when we can understand it here and there this is where the whole chain can stop and this is why it is so important if you look at say a negative response like at aversion or anger sadness any kind of what is say negative response the same thing happens. We do mistake the object for the reason that we like something. I mean, I hope I'm clear enough. We take the object for that what is likable, in this case what is unlikable, where we want to, we turn away from, what we don't want, where we are not reaching out for, what we are rejecting. So we project, in this case we project the negative experience, internal experience, we project it to the outside object. But what is happening is that negative experience is very unpleasant. We don't want to feel it. It doesn't, it's not, it's not something we want to be with. So recognizing that actually this moving away from, and if we would if we would put it into movements, it would be like pushing something away, but which is undesirable, or reaching out to something that we want that is desirable. So these are these, these two polarizations in this process, and they both arise instantly, very very quickly. So we have to develop a very high degree of mindfulness, of awareness, to catch them while they are arising, before they are moving into perception, into concepts. And we can do that in our meditation practice. And actually, I, from my own experience, I know that with the less distractions during our retreat times, we can much more clearly Focus into that and see this whole process unfolding. And I want to practice tomorrow with you. I want I want to guide you through, in by the practice, through what I'm talking right now. I think that is very important. And probably many of you are practicing already that way or not. I, I mean we we will find out tomorrow. But I think it is a very important step in understanding. What attachment, what these first two noble truths are about. Like there is suffering and there is a reason for suffering. When we understand the process of Vedana through holding it with mindfulness, we can actually move further. Also, Understanding vedana gives us the chance to see how we create views, how we um, fi- we get in, how we get into fixed views, and this is the say again the same reason because we, like say, there's sense experience i'm i just think about a uh, personal experience for myself say i'm i okay let's say i'm seeing somebody i have a difficult relationship with or i just had a difficult interaction with i see that person and immediately I, there is the possibility to move into, this person is like this, I don't want to relate to her or him. And this is, this is the process of building up uh, a concept and a solidity that is not necessary. Because if we can stay open, if we can see, yes, there, there is the immediate response of aversion, but I don't need to step into that. Actually, I can stop it here, and I can give the chance for another experience to arise. This is what I mean in terms of views. And you can apply that to many other things, many other situations in your life. I haven't been saying so much about neutral feelings yet, because that is a very different... Aspect, but also very important. Neutral feelings are much more difficult to catch. I mean, obviously, because desire and aversion are very obvious experiences, and they can be also subtle. But usually, they are having a str- they are giving a stronger color or a stronger movement to the mind. Neutral experience in the very, very positive sense can mean equanimity. Equi- equanimity in being in the middle, being between the two extremes. There is no movement to here or there, there is just equipoise. In the not so good situation, it is. Uh, It could be just pure ignorance, we are actually not recognising what is happening, and we are disconnected. Or it could also be in like an experience of, like say, being like a bit sleepy or drowsy or not quite with what is happening. We do experience neutral experiences, like, say, in our meditation practice. We do consciously choose an object that is relatively neutral to the mind. I think, I mean, if you you watch the breath, I don't think there's something very exciting or disappointing (laughs) about the breath. And this is why, for example, the breath is one of the main objects to work with. On the other hand, I think when we speak about the practice and also in regards to Vedana, there's another aspect to that. It does not mean, and I want to be very clear here, it does not mean that that joy or pleasant experience has no place in the mind for the practice. I think it is a very important part of our practice, especially, or mainly, if it is that joy that does not come out of sensual pleasure, or sensual, uh, yeah, sensual pleasures. If it is like, say, the joy that comes out of a practice that works, the joy that comes out of practicing matter, the joy that comes with having a mind that is very stable on the object. I'm not, I'm not talking about this. I think this this is very important. These are very important ingredients to our practice. And we have to we have to take that into account. So we don't when we experience that kind of pleasant feeling arising. We see it as p- also as pleasant feeling, but we also know, and there is where wisdom comes in, we know that this is an in- essential ingredient of our practice. So we don't cut off from that. I hope that it is still clear what I'm talking about, because that is very important. The same when we have unpleasant feeling and that comes out, or that arises because we recognize, like say, we recognize a mental pattern, we recognize something that is very important for us to know. This is and not to be dismissed. So when we, when we work with, with these ingredients, we have to use, I mean anyway, we use mindfulness, but also we have to bring wisdom into that. We have to recognize, is this something, is this like, for example, if it's desire, or if it's a pleasant state of mind, is this based on unwholesome desire, or is it based on wholesome desire? The same with the negative experiences or with aversion, is that a Is that, that aversion leading to an uh, to a wholesome state of mind? Because wisdom comes in and can recognize it for what it is. And then a completely different aspect of these practices, how do we apply that into our all-day lives? I feel that it's always very important. One thing is what we do on our mats or on when we do sitting, walking, standing, or lying down meditation, I mean really formal practice. And the other aspect is how do we bring that, what we experience, what we see, how can we apply that? How can we apply that in our daily life? How can we apply that into being in relation with others? Like one aspect that Ajahn Tassanee was mentioning today in the sutta reading was like seeing it internally and externally. My experience with the practice is when I really, on a deeper level, through direct understand, through direct experience, on a deeper level understand what is unfolding, I also see it unfolding in my all-day life. I'm actually able to see it when it is arising in myself, but because I understand that, I can also see it arising in others. I can see a pattern that I completely have understood of myself, in myself, I can see the same pattern arising in somebody else. Because I have that experience, because I have that understanding, I can actually relate to, to seeing that in somebody else arising from a different point of view. I don't need so easily be offended or defensive. I can relate with more compassion, with more empathy, and understanding towards the other person. I find that a very, very important aspect of our practice. And I'm not there. (laughs) I mean, I still have a lot of work to do. And I'm very glad for living monastic life because I do live together with others who have the same aspirations as I do. And that helps me to apply the practice and to be also understood in the way that I'm actually trying to apply the practice, because basically we try to do the same (laughs) in that way. And we are each coming, of course, from our own we have our own background, we have our own karmic predicaments and tendencies, but we know we are working towards, we are walking into the same direction. And I think coming together in this way, being together on a retreat is the same. It's another form of Sangha. While we are here, we are trying to work together with the same definitely with the same predicament, outer predicament, but also we have the chance to learn from each other. And we, we can apply what we do experience in our formal practice into those times that we are not practicing formal. It's like, how do I meet somebody? Like, say, on a staircase. How do I pass somebody by who does do walking meditation? How do I relate to others when I'm in the queue for the meal? This is what I mean. Like, can I. Is there still the same quality of awareness and attention and empathy like in the practice? in the formal practice. Yeah, these are just a few reflections for this evening. I don't even know. We still have a bit of time, but I also know that there are two questions here who have come in. But I want to stop here for uh, reflecting on working with feelings. I hope it is helpful for you, and I look forward to Meditate tomorrow, together with you on that. I hope it will be beneficial. So I have to take off my glasses. Uh, One question is, I don't understand the shrine to our specific attachments. It seems contradictory to my basic understanding of the teachings. I s- understand matter as to all beings or even one being, but that is irrespective of particular relation of a particular relationship. It seems. It seems we are worshipping our attachments, question mark. Good question, do we? (laughs) I think, as I said before, however many people you ask about a situation or an experience, we all have our own answer to this. I can only share with you my own experience of this. I actually have put something on that shrine. For me, this shrine symbolizes the field of blessing we are developing and um, building up during this retreat. And I like to share that with as many beings as possible. And I do have a few beings I feel more attachment to than others. What comes in here is to start where we are. I wish I would be in the place where I don't have any attachments anymore, but I'm not, and I have to honor and acknowledge that. Because I'm not, I do wish those beings who I feel close to, well, but I also wish all other beings well. It doesn't mean that there is an exclusion from, like say, my son, to all the sons in the world. (laughs) I wish all the sons in the world, (laughs) in the world well, as much as I wish my son well, but because my son is much closer to my heart, how could it not be? (laughs) There is a certain relationship. There is a certain connection in that. And as long as I'm not enlightened, I can't deny that, and I don't want to deny it. I think it has its own place, and if I would try to cut that out and I say, well, this should not be and I should be somewhere else, I think I would deceive myself and maybe also others. So I can only speak for myself. I don't feel we uh, venerate attachments or we make them bigger, but it is an acknowledgement of where we are and also a generosity of heart to share what I feel worthy of sharing with others, with as many beings as possible. This is where I'm coming from. I want to ask my sisters, would you like to come in and share some of this too? Yeah? you have another microphone? Because, as I said, Three people, three different answers. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Ajahn Mehta's response, I felt delighted to hear because it's full and honest and uh, very congruent with many things that I experience. So, I don't need to change what she said. But I just came. F- I just came from a place that, um, that, where the Deva realms were packed, and. Uh, Normally, you know, in a Vipassana community, we're working with, you know, we make the effort, we do it ourselves, and there's nobody else out there helping. And I just came from an environment where the, the, the presence of that which you cannot see was tangible and obviously influencing the health and the welfare of everybody present. And in that environment, it is very, um, a lot easier to come into contact with the power of prayer, because when one brings uh, a positive intention to mind, one can see it manifesting in results in a quick way, whereas otherwise one makes a nice thought and lets it go and one has no idea what happens to it. And so in in this kind of hypercharged deva realm, one could see that when you actually put the name of a person or a problem of a particular predicament in this field, then however which way it happened, there would be results much faster, much quicker, and much more profoundly than if one hadn't. And so one of the things that this symbolizes for me is, is a willingness to open up the fact that it isn't only our individual effort that is allowing things to happen. But the positive force that's generated through our collective aspiration also collects forces of goodness that we don't have direct capacity to see. And all of this together is supportive and something beautiful unfolding in a way that doesn't necessarily follow our own uh, cognitive rational processes and what we can see and know. Yeah? So for me, it's not at all to do with attachment, it's to do with the power of blessing, the power of positive intention, and the power of prayer. And so, and one of the things, if you can tell, sisters are just remarkable at, is in an instant coming up with shrines that just have a feeling quality about them. For most people, there's a sense of, wow, you know, that's lovely, you know. And it's just, I don't know what it is about us, how we have that, but nearly all the sisters I've known have that capacity to make shrines and create opportunities for ceremony and devotion where prayer and intention and positive, the forces of positive goodness can be collected and shared and distributed in a way where it is as if there are other realms operating.
2: Uh, for me, it's also very much about uh, the first paramita uh, is generosity or parami It's about sharing of, of blessings, sharing of merit. And I have been putting on the table a happy birthday for a, a, s- a certain sister who has once supported me very much at a certain point in my practice and that was a very... She really went out of her way to, to be to be there for me at that point and now she has birthday and I just wanted to remember her and just uh, re- reciprocate her generosity. And putting it on the shrine just helps me to, to remember and helps me to, to focus and um, uplift the heart, uplift the mind when I when I look at the shrine and when I see what's on the shrine and how many people have have written nice things I find it very lovely and um, I'm also f- not beyond attachment at all and I, I, I know that if I don't fully uh, have the courage to look at my attachments I never be able to get anywhere in my practice and opening the heart and and sharing merits, for example is is a very good way of of coming to terms with attachment of Of opening up to the pain of it and at the same time putting some positive energy into all of that uh, process which can be very contracted at times contracting around attachment and then working with that contraction by putting generosity into the equation. It's like an alchemical process where you, where you don't try to get rid of something, but you, you transform it by putting another agent into the mixture. And developing the ten paramis, for example, is, is a process like that. Looking at what is here and then taking something else and putting it into equation and, and having a transformation taking place and for example i know what we can observe in the monastery is that for example asian people mainly they have a very big um, thing going with the first parameter with uh, generosity they are coming to our monasteries and they are they are flooding us with with um, things they give us and it's considered as the entrance into opening the mind when you give something from, from yourself that's the first step and it starts with, with giving things and then with sharing blessings that's the next step and that's what I wanted to say
0: so, and we also have a second question here, it says you have spoken of trusting yourself. Ajahn Mm Sujito and others have spoken of not trusting the mind when Mm -hmm. any of the five hindrances are present. Can you say more about trusting yourself, your heart, your mind? This matter, thank you. Hmm. This person, whoever that is, speaks about the five hindrances. One of the five hindrances is doubt. Get me? <laughs> this is doubt in the mind. <laughs> doubt has its place and needs to be related to. Another aspect of this quest uh, of this question is. Ajahn and other teachers. <coughs> it's a completely... I hope you get me right when I say this. We sometimes take other people into our experience for making it stronger. Is there a need for that? Can't we just say, uh, my experience or, I think, if there are the five hindrances in the mind, or I doubt, can I really trust? So there there are two different layers to this question here. And I, th- and I, I mean, I'm not excluding myself, I also do that. I also, like, sometimes when I want to make something stronger, when I want to give it more weight, I bring in people who are important, like President Obama said. (laughs) Very good example. (laughs) If you have him on your side, you can do everything in this country, I guess. (laughs) And I do understand. (laughs) He's great. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't say that, but anyway. (laughs) 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 But so, let's, I mean, I do really venerate Achan Sujito and other teachers, don't get me wrong in this, but what I'm pointing at is, like this is also part of doubt, can we trust ourselves enough, our experience enough, that we can just say, I, I'm not sure about this, how can, how can I work with that? That's one aspect of this question. The other aspect is like, it's about trust. And when there is doubt in the mind, there can't be trust at the same time. To overcome doubt, we have to know doubt for what it is. In order to understand doubt, we have fully to turn towards it. And doubt is an important ingredient of our path. If we don't doubt, we probably would still be, uh, instead of sitting here on a retreat, we probably would be on the Bahamas or whatever people do in their holidays. I don't <laughs> know so much anymore. So we would do some something completely different. It's because there's doubt. That we are asking like, what is this life about? What what is it what it's what is it supposed to be? What what is there to learn? This all is very important and there's this is doubt. And yes, if there are hindrances in the mind we can't see clearly, but we still can trust our intentions. If we are taking, like, say, the guidelines of the five precepts, we actually have a good start or ground to start off from in developing trust. Because we know by following those precepts, by, by living an ethical life, we know that we can trust our intentions, even so, and our values. Even so, we can't always live up to them, and that is okay. But I think when we speak about, at least for myself, if I'm speaking about, I trust my intentions, or I trust my heart, my intuition, I'm not saying I'm free of all faults. But what I trust is that there is the willingness to do good, there is the willingness to benefit others, there is the willingness to act as best as it is possible right now. I hope this answers your question, at least to some degree. There's lots more into it. And should I pass it on to... Both of you, again? Would you like to say more to it? Okay, okay. then maybe there's all to it for, from us right now, but there's much more to investigate, especially for the person writing it. I think there's lots to be understood in here, and for all of us. Okay, I think I'm stopping here for tonight. Thank you for your attention, and. I hope it was beneficial.